hey guys, let me look around. I mean, we're kind of in that right now. You know, we're in that place. We're not the same exact kind of recession, but there's things happening. You need to have liquidity. So get your money out of prison and then take that money and then use that. I mean, you can do it actively. I mean, if you guys are like wholesale flippers, you know, wholesale, you know, wholesalers or flippers or whatever you're doing, right? Great. You can use it there actively, but I would also recommend getting passive streams of income as well. You know, things where you don't have to work for it. Can you lend money to other guys to let them do the work? You know, can you start using that money and put it into syndications with apartment deals or self-storage or whatever it might be? You know, can you put it into other, you know, kind of, uh, you know, investment properties or whatnot? Like things where you don't have to work for it. So you have multiple streams of income coming in from different sources where it doesn't require you to have to hunt and kill your food. That's the key thing I would say. You're listening to The Faster Freedom Show, hosted by us, Sam Prim and Lucas Walls, investors, entrepreneurs, and best friends. Two millennial Midwesterners who started a real estate side hustle and now own $40 million in rentals without using any of our own money. Now we're two average guys teaching other people how to use real estate investing to create financial freedom and generational wealth. If you're ready to learn how to take control of your future using real estate investments the simple way and have fun while doing it, you're in the right place. Let's start today's show. Hello and welcome to the Faster Freedom Show. My name is Sam and this is not Lucas. I have my friend Chris with me today. I'm super excited. He's got a pretty big podcast actually and has a really, really cool story, a little bit different than some of the chats that I have on here and some of the guests that I am starting to have. I'm just starting to have guests on here. So he's got a really cool story. So um, I'll introduce Chris and then let him kind of tell you a little bit of his, you know, 30 second, 60 second elevator speech about his story. So Chris, I know we're in a mastermind together and you are the anti-financial advisor guy, but you understand the importance of other people's knowledge when it comes to real estate. So why don't you talk just a little bit about yourself as you are on a month long vacation in Hawaii. So obviously you're doing something right. You know, it, there's some perks eventually, you know, you go through the hard road sometimes to get to the good stuff, you know, for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, my background really, like, I would, I didn't start out doing much with money at all. You know, in fact, you know, when I went to school, I went to school for sociology with a triple minor in psychology, Japanese, and ballroom dancing. You, you are know, an, so uh, that is like a that's like a mutt is what I would call that in 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 in, in, a, in a nice way. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I mean, I have lots of interests, you know, and that's the thing is, yeah, I, w- I was always really good at like absorbing a lot of information and things like that. And I'll tell you what, it came to money, like I was raised like many people were, you know, I had hardworking parents taught me good values, but the one thing they didn't really teach me a lot about was money, right? For the most part, it was usually the lack of money they taught me. You know, like my dad would always teach me things like, you know, really from more from example than from experience. Like he was the ultimate saver. Like he would be like Dave Ramsey's older brother that Dave Ramsey looked up to because he would save everything. You know, he wouldn't try to spend a whole lot of money. You know, he was debt free. He was brag about that all the time. And all he taught me to do was save, save, save. That's it, you know? And on top of that, he would teach me from scarcity. So he'd teach me things like, hey, you know, I can't afford this. Money doesn't grow in trees, you know? What do you think I am, made of money? Or even worse, like, Chris, I'm gonna work until I'm dead. Like, this job will literally kill me. And it almost did. I mean, the guy had strokes in his 40s and 50s and heart attacks. I mean, the guy's like the bionic man now in his late 70s. I mean, he's had like 12 stents put in his arteries. That Even the cardiologist saying, man, you're going for a record. I don't know how you're still alive, you know? But... You know, that was kind of his life. And so I vowed, like any teenager, not to become like him. And so uh, eventually, when I was going down the path of college, I wanted to become a business consultant. So if I'm going to do that, I should have real life business experience, right? So 
I ended up dropping out of college, took a, was supposed to be a 12 month hiatus just to get more business experience to kind of go on my resume for my MBA. And then I was, as I was out there, I'm like, well, what kind of business should I do? And the first one that came up that was interesting was, was becoming a financial advisor. And I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I was like an idiot. I was like, you know, uh, kind of like if you ever see the, the wedding singer with Adam Sandler, right? Oh, yeah. And he's going in trying to find a job because he can't afford to, you know, pay for, for Drew Barrymore, you know, in, in his mind as a, as a wedding singer. So, so he's like, Hey, you know, I'm going into the bank, you know, I don't know much about money, but I like it. I have a jar on my fridge, you know, that's where you can add to it, please. You know, that kind of stuff. That's what my life was like. Um, and my understanding with money. Well, a few years later, as I started to get into it, I actually stayed dropped out of college. I never went back, um, continued down this entrepreneur path as a financial advisor. Well, eventually my dad asked me for my advice, which was really interesting. It was like the tables were turning. And literally I was sitting at his kitchen table, um, same one that he would teach me financial principles. And then uh, we're sitting there and he said, Chris, I'm 61 years old. I want to retire someday. Take a look at my money. And he had done everything right. He had saved everything his 401k. He paid off all of his debt and even the mortgage, right? Everything was paid off. And I looked at his money. I said, dad, I'm going to level with you. If you don't have social security, you'll have to die in five years because you'll run out of money. Wow. Okay, Chris. Well, what do I do? I don't know because you've done everything right. <laughs> That's the thing. You've done everything that a financial advisor would recommend. And anything I try to put you into is just a gamble because it's market related. So I can't promise that you would be able to stay retired. And that bugged me because his path, although he did everything right, didn't work. And then I looked at all my other clients. Their path didn't work either, right? Like even the retired ones were still worried about running out of money. And then I looked at my own life and the very life that I didn't want to follow with my dad's footsteps, I was also doing. I was saving everything, trying to pay off my dad, doing all the traditional stuff you've been taught to do your whole life yet it didn't work. And that's when, of course, I was like, what, how do I, what do I do? Do I keep teaching this financial stuff and stay a financial advisor or quit and keep my integrity intact? Because most financial advisors will just put blinders on because they know that they get paid a lot of commissions, you know, especially if they have assets under management where they take your money in mutual funds. That money that they make is a steady stream of passive income for them or residual income, I'll call it, because it's business income. Well, that's the problem. That's the trap you get caught into. And, uh, and then finally, I took a friend of mine who was in real estate investing that said, Chris, this is bull crap. You know, why are you doing this? There are better ways to do it. And so he started to teach me about things like with passive income and real passive income. I'd read Rich Dad Poor Dad a couple of times by that point, but it never clicked because my financial advisor brain wouldn't see it. Mm -hmm. And then when I did that, all of a sudden, like it clicked uh, by the end of uh, later that year, I was able to retire myself when I was 28 years old, financially independent, wondering what I'm going to do with my life when I grow up. And that's the very thing I've been teaching now for really for the last going on, boy, you know, what, 17, 18 years, right? That's that's awesome. So A, you can say bullshit on this podcast. We're, we're rated E. We just cover the bases. <laughs> we don't really cuss much or talk about too many crazy things, but we just have that E rating just in case. Um, and the other thing is that I, I think the, the important, or not the important, but one of the biggest things that stuck out to me in that story is just that it was like, it's so real that your parents or somebody look up to, like it was like, you can learn yeah. much, but getting smacked in the face at that kitchen table with your dad is, was like, probably like, holy crap, like this, something's got to change. If, if he did it this way and it didn't work, then, you know, we got to figure something else out. My dad is very similar. He, he still to this day has, um, like a cash account, like a bunch of envelopes in like the laundry room underneath something. <laughs> this is for the vet. 
This is for grocery. Yeah. Like literally cash in envelopes to pay bills. So just a crazy different mindset that um, I think similarly with you is that's what got me to my mindset is not wanting to have that mindset. So you retired yeah. quickly, right? So what did you do in that short time period to set yourself up? I know you didn't like make $10 million in living off the interest. No. You set things up to become financially free. So let's dig into that a little bit. You know, I had you had these realizations and all these conversations and, and kind of saw a lot of things that you did and didn't want to do. And you've been a financial advisor. So what did you do in that, say, what, eight months or six months or 10 months to get yourself quickly to be able to retire at 28? Yeah, it was one was expected while the other was unexpected. Right. So I created two primary types of income streams. Uh, one was more passive income. And I refer to passive income. I'm talking about like, you know, you're investing in like real estate or whatever it might be. So, you know, I remember taking my first starter home, turning it into a rental, um, even did a little creative strategy by selling it to investor, then, you know, leasing it back and then subleasing it out, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I started to do some real estate type stuff. And, and really all I knew about was rental real estate and hard money. That was pretty much it. The next thing that I did was more accidental. Um, it was actually uh, when I was talking with my friend who was, you know, another guy was doing real estate investing. He was kind of a mentor of mine in that way. And as we're talking, he said, okay, Chris, you quit being a financial advisor. You're now still a mortgage broker because I kept my mortgage license. I was still being a mortgage broker. He says, you're doing that. And you're even doing some, you know, a little side gig type stuff just to kind of keep your time going. But, you know, do you really like, do you really like doing mortgages? I said, you know, I like getting people the results, but I hate paperwork. I hate having to deal with all the underwriting and the application process I actually just, you know, hate the fact that I tell them it's going to be three weeks for it to close probably. And then they call me up the next day, wondering if it's going to close that day. You know, I hated that stuff. And he said, well, find somebody who will do that. And it never quite clicked in my brain because in a scarcity mindset, you never really think that's possible. You think you just got to take everything, right? You got to do with the business all yourself. You're this rugged individualist, you know, and just keep all the money yourself because you think, oh, there's not enough to share. And he said, Chris, find somebody to split the commissions with. And I said, oh, is there anybody who actually likes doing paperwork? He says, Chris, I guarantee there's nerds out there that like it. And so I went to my broker and asked, does somebody fit this profile? And they said, yeah, Clark, go talk to Clark. He'll help you out. And I went to Clark and said, Clark, if I just spoon feed you people, they're already ready to do the mortgage. You just have to do all the paperwork and everything, all the work on the back end. Would you pay me, you know, would we split it 50-50? Would that be fair to you? He said, of course, you know, because he didn't want to go out and find people. He thought, hey, if you just feed me clients, I'll love it. And so we did. And so I'd spend a half an hour, maybe an hour with a client, teach them about like, hey, you can cash out equity, invest in real estate and do cool stuff. They're like, great, where do I get my mortgage? I said, go talk to Clark. And I would do that, make that connection. And we have this like 50-50 partnership. And the next thing I know, I have a, you know, spend a half hour or so, I have a check coming for a thousand, two thousand, whatever dollars coming in from this deal. And I'm like, well, that's freaking easy. This is amazing, you know? And, uh, and that was unexpected. That's what helped me accelerate there more quickly where I didn't have to save, like you said, $10 million like you have to do in the stock market. You know, I had income streams coming from the real estate and then I had this coming in to help fill the gap. And it happened very quickly because I spent literally like three, four hours a week, like the four hour work week before Tim Ferriss wrote the book. I was doing that and uh, it was blowing my mind. And so I had more than enough to take care of my family's needs working really a couple hours a week. And, uh, and that's what really got me to that place. So I think two things, two things that stick out for me on that, the two things are, one is understanding the value of time. Like you could spend a ton of time on doing something that you didn't like to make X, or you could, you know, 
focus that time and, you know, work four hours a week and, you know, have better results. Or you could, you know, work 10 hours a week, one week and quadruple what you were trying to do just because you were focused on what you like to do. And, you know, being able to find the right person, you're, you're Superman, you're Clark Kent, get it? What I did there, Clark, Clark Kent. Anyways. So, um, so being able to, uh, to focus on, um, you know, doing what you enjoy doing and you understood that time is the biggest, you know, scarcity that we have, you know, you can, there's not unlimited time. There's unlimited money out there. Pretty, you know, pretty much to a certain degree, there's unlimited opportunities, but there's not unlimited time. So, figuring out how to use your time wisely and efficiently. And it's the best use of your time. You could have worked probably, you know, 40 hours a week and, you know, made the same amount of money just because your time was not used wisely doing things you shouldn't be doing. So, um, I, I, oh, yes. I love that story. So what, um, so let's kind of walk through your path. So now you're, you know, at this point you're working less, making more multiple streams of income. So what, what kind of filled up your thirties? Cause you know, you're, you're, you're probably look to me like you're maybe like uh 32. No, I'm just kidding. But so what, what filled up your, what filled up your thirties? What have you done since then to kind of grow all that? And then we'll get into, you know, your podcasts and, and, and kind of the things that you offer. Yeah. So, you know, during that time, I kind of took that, you know, that, that kind of philosophy. I'm like, wait a minute, I can do this other thing. So I started even connecting other relationships with like wholesale jewelers in Salt Lake city and, you know, people like that. And, sending referrals, I was getting paid referral commissions too, you know, from different things. And, and that was kind of helping me uh, hit this new level of freedom. But then after that, of course, everybody kept asking me, they're like, Chris, I see that you're basically this 28, 29 year old. What are you, how are you doing it? And, uh, and eventually I got connected with a guy, uh, some of you might've heard of a guy named Garrett Gunderson. Uh, he wrote the book, Killing Sacred Cows. And he's written, written a few other books too, that are New York Times bestsellers. Well, you know, we decided to start a company together before he wrote those books. And uh, it really just teach people how to get out of the rat race. The crazy thing is this was like in 2007, right? And our market at that time were all active real estate investors, people that were you know, especially doing hard money type stuff and flips or whatever, whatnot. Well, you know, as you guys know, the Great Recession was a crappy time to do flipping. Um, so all of our potential clientele, all of our networks were going broke during this period of time in 2007 going to 2008. Well, at the same time, our company's going broke. Um, also Garrett said, Hey, Chris, I want you to cut off all your streams of income, <laughs> your passive streams of income, which was dumb. I don't know why we're trying to teach people to do that. And he's like, cut off your passive streams of income. Right. Uh, but I did. And, uh, and so it was like this huge, perfect storm that happened and started around 2007, 2008, where I went from millionaire to upside down millionaire. Like I was in the hole. I eventually became more in the hole over a million dollars because I was, I was, well, I was really in the hole, like 16,000 plus a month between my business and my personal expenses versus my income coming in. And so it was a real tough time. Uh, but during that time was the best time because I started to really get creative and resourceful and how to stretch out money, right? Because I had really no money, no credit, nothing. And I had to really start from scratch, not even scratch. I mean, think about it. The homeless guy on the street was a million dollars richer than I was because at least he was at zero. I was at negative one million, had to dig out of the hole. I didn't file for bankruptcy, but I did have to find ways to dig back out of it. And with that, it kind of created this whole unique overall approach to cash flow in general, because everybody always talks about the offense, right? Always about how to like make the money in, in real estate and things like that. And, and we do that today now. Um, but, you know, be able to get resourceful and find where the money is and take that and put it to use. So then you can generate more passive income and cash flow now. Uh, that's the real key is how do you make everything work with a good offense and defense, that one-two punch, right? And, uh, and that ended up being that kind of, almost like this blessed, you know, non-accidental uh, tragedy that happened in my life that turned into a much better, you know, much better situation. So when people hear 
Chris, I heard you fin- you became financially independent twice. Well, yes, yeah, because I screwed up the first time and then had to dig out of a million dollar debt hole and get to the point where by 2016, I was out of the rat race again. And so I spent my 30s really making up for my stupidity of my late 20s is really what it was. And uh, and then by 39, I was financially independent again the second time. And uh, and then now things are much better. You know, and I teach people to do the same thing is get cash flow under control, make sure your finances are in control, and also make sure you're getting passive income come in where you're not having to work, you know, all the time. You're work optional. You work because you want to, not because you have to. Yeah, no, that that's a good place to be. There's a difference in being financially independent and financially free and being retired. Like, I don't know. I just mm-hmm. enjoy it so much up to this point that I don't ever like, I'm sure at some point maybe, but I don't like want to retire. I just want to do more or work no. less or grow something else or work harder and grow a company that I want to grow as opposed to something I have to do. It's kind of one of those, you know, being able to do what you want when you want and, you know, not worry about, you know, money or price tags or things like that. So um, that's awesome. So what, so you were talked a lot about, you know, different strategies and, and you know, passive income and, and, and wholesaling with jewelers and, you know, hiring out and helping someone with your mortgage uh, brokerage and things like that. What are a couple like, I don't know if tangible is the right word, um, things that you could kind of give, give the audience, you know, it, it could be, you know, but the bank on yourself method or things like that, that you feel like, you know, a couple of takeaways, obviously you can't go into crazy detail here talking on the podcast, but just a couple, um, you know, uh, you know, I think key tactical takeaways that you think are, are the audience could leave with and, and feel like they can go maybe do something with. Yeah. You know, first one, like I mentioned, get cash flow under control, right? That's a big one, you know, is start tracking your money. You know, if you have a business, right, track the business as well, but track your personal, start tracking income coming in, expenses going out, and really get under control. Like, what are the productive expenses? Don't don't go cheap. You don't have to do a whole David Bach latte factor or live on rice and beans like Dave Ramsey says, right? You don't have to do all that crap. I mean, you can literally just, you know, start tracking money, be a wiser steward of your resources and figure out how to like get lean and mean as much as possible without being cheap. You know, you don't have to go into the scarcity world to be super cheap, but, you know, try to get lean and mean if you're in your business or even within your personal finances, get as much cash as you can to then use that to, create more passive income. So one is like, I would definitely say track your money. Number two is get your money out of prison. So if you got money locked up, because the traditional way teaches you the same old crap of, you know, put your money and lock it away in 401ks and IRAs, right? But then you can't do anything with it until you're at least 59 and a half years old. Yeah, at least not if you want to get your hand slapped for touching your own stupid money, you know, like 10% penalty plus taxes. It's just crap. It's bull crap, you know? So don't you worry about that. Um, you know, get your money out of there. Don't worry about putting all this equity in your property. I mean, that's the thing I wish I wouldn't have done last recession is that I was trying to pay down my house aggressively. I had cash reserves even leading up to that. That's what helped me stretch out a little bit during that recession. But if I kept dumping money into that equity of that home, and then when I tried to get it out, banks would lend to me because they said, oh, you know what? You've got your uh, business streams of income and business owners seem risky right now. We don't want to lend to you. We don't want to get you the equity out of there. And I dumped in, I had really about almost 150, almost 200,000 of equity trapped in that property that I could not get out because the bank said, "Uh uh-uh, you can only get permission from us. And that money, if I had that, would have put me in a much healthier position even when the recession hit. And hey guys, let me look around. I mean, we're kind of in that right now. You know, we're in that place. We're not the same exact kind of recession, but there's things happening. You need to have liquidity. So get your money out of prison and then take that money and then use that I mean, you can do it actively. I mean, if you guys are like wholesale flippers, you know, wholesale, you know, wholesalers or flippers or whatever you're doing, right? Great. You can use it there actively, but I would also recommend getting passive streams of income as well. 
you know, things where you don't have to work for it? Can you lend money to other guys and let them do the work? You know, can you start using that money and put it into syndications with apartment deals or self-storage or whatever it might be? You know, can you put it into other, you know, kind of, uh, you know, investment properties or whatnot? Like things where you don't have to work for it. So you have multiple streams of income coming in from different sources where it doesn't require you to have to hunt and kill your food. That's the key thing I would say. Yeah, I think having having control over your money. It's your freaking money. I know you signed it away if you throw in your 401k because your employee matches it or the IRA and like all these things. It's like it, it's insane to think about. I feel like, you know, not being as versed on it, like people's mindset is, ooh, this is such a good investment that I'm willing to let them control it. When that's not the case, the returns aren't even that good. You can get better returns in a lot of places being able to control it. So having your employee match, which is, which is awesome. I get it, you know, free money, having your employee match it or, or, you know, being able to, Oh, I can only put so much in my IRA. So this must be a great investment. The government's not letting me put a hundred grand. I can only put X amount in it every single year. Um, so I feel like it's almost like a, fa a facade of like, this is such a good investment. It's okay that you can't control it for a while, even though if you look at the numbers and look at most people's returns and how much they put in, it's not any better than just leaving it in like, you know, like the, the, you know, S and P or just leaving it in there and being able to take it out when you want, you know, so it, it's not really, yeah. there's not a whole lot of benefits to it in my opinion. And the lack of control is, is not, not good in my opinion either. I completely agree. And it's, that's, that's the problem is that Financial advisors are incentivized to tell you to lock up your money. Uh, even even banks, right? I mean, they're all in the same business together. Financial advisors are taught by banks and other financial institutions to lock up your money and keep it in their possession versus having it in yours where you have control of your own money and control of your own destiny. And I think that's ultimately where freedom comes from is it's not about how much money you have. That's, that's not the case at all. It's really about what kind of freedom do you have with that money? What kind of control do you have? And ultimately that time freedom where you work because you want to, not because you have to. For sure. Awesome. So before we kind of get into, cause you got a, a, a pretty darn big podcast and then comes kind of the stuff you're doing online and getting your brain out there. So let's get into that. But what would you say is some strategies to combat inflation? Cause inflation has gone crazy. I, I did some research for a video and actually I did a podcast a few episodes ago about, we've been back to 1975 and you know, the five or six recessions we've been through, what caused them. One of them was OPEC and the oil crisis, you know, but a majority of them were, were caused by interest rate increases to, you know, kind of deflect inflation. So this is a story as old as time, right? This isn't anything new. I know it's a little more drastic than, you know, some because we printed so much money, but inflation's here. It's always going to be here. The government wants it. They want you to increase the value of your assets. So then you buy a new house and buy things and they collect taxes. That That's the reason for a huge reason for inflation, right? So the government can fund their taxes and make money. So inflation's not going away. It may dip a little bit and may get back to normal, but we're going to go through inflation cycles always, every few years. So what's your advice in an inflation time? Because this is common. I think the last few years have not been common. So that's for sure. You know, during inflationary times, I mean, there's a few things I would say. I mean, first is pretty much do the opposite of what everybody else is talking about, right? I mean, when you have your neighbors or coworkers or, you know, your brother-in-law that took that one economics class his freshman year of college and got an A and thought that now he's the, some sort of economic expert, you know, those people ignore because they really don't know what they're talking about. And when the masses go one way, you want to run the opposite direction. That's one thing I've learned. And so the interesting thing about this inflationary environment is that everybody's saying, don't hold on to cash. I think right now is one of the best times to have cash. And I think what I'm seeing is that we're going to have opportunities where people won't have cash to invest. And there's going to be massive deals out there available that people won't be able to take action on because they're illiquid. They don't. So when I said, get that money out of prison, that's one big reason right there is that we want to have that money liquid. 
Now, do we want it sitting around in cash or in the checking account or in your bank making point nothing percent? Of course not, right? Um, that's why, I mean, you mentioned like infinite banking. That's one thing I'm doing personally is that I'm getting my money held inside of a life insurance policy that has low, low costs, as low as you can get them while keeping it tax-free, um, earning like almost about 6% tax-free on that money. Not, not going to make me rich. That's not a permanent place to store it, but I've been building more and more cash in there as a place to store it versus making point nothing percent that I get taxed on with the stupid bank, right? They're going to tax me on like 0.05% that I'm earning right now. So I really come out with like 0.03%. I'd rather make like 20 times that or more than 20 times that, at least 20 times that, whatever the number is, right? I'd rather make five or 6% versus 0.03%, you know? So I guess that's hundreds or thousands of percent more. Um, that's the kind of thing I go for. Um, so that's one strategy you can do as well. But the other thing is look for buying real assets. And I would even emphasize buy cash flowing assets, ones that actually have income coming in. Do not bank on appreciation. Do not bank on a value going up. Like that's, it's it's great if you can buy something like undervalued, that's fine. Uh, but don't count on it going up. Make sure you have an exit strategy. Even if you're counting on some appreciation, have an exit strategy that also works on the income side as well. That's what got me in trouble the last recession is that I was thinking, Hey, bigger the property I buy, bigger the appreciation, just buy big, you know, you know, basically go big or go home. And I ended up going home. Actually, I lost my home. So I didn't go home, right? I, I foreclosed on my house as, as a result of that. So, you know, you don't want to do that kind of stuff. You want to really focus on what's going to pay that kind of those real stable, predictable passive income. And that's where real assets come into play. That's why I love real estate. That's why I stay away from the stock market. I stay away from a lot of crypto and that kind of stuff. Real estate is really one of the best places to hold that value, especially in an inflationary market. I love it, and something that I've done a little bit. I have some some of those bank on you know bank on yourself some of those um, some of those uh, policies. And the cool thing about it is you can borrow against it. So what I've been you know doing is you know you get that six percent dividend return. You borrow against it at six percent. So it's you know not to get too complicated here. Um, you know, but you can borrow against the cash that you put in there. Um, basically for free because you just, that 6% dividend you get paid, that just goes to interest. And then you can lend it out at 12 or 15%. So instead of borrowing from the bank at 7% on a paid off property on a HELOC and lending out at 13 or 15% to make the arbitrage, I can borrow at zero and lend out to at 12% and be a steal and still, you know, make way more. So there's just so much you can do having that cash. And like you said, I think not, don't have you should bank accounts only insure up to 250 grand anyway. So don't put more than that in there, but just there's other places you can go that are very liquid and safe. Um, why don't you talk to and me about- If you do it right- Go ahead. Oh, I was sorry. I was just saying, if you do it right too, like if you would use a certain strategy with that, you can actually get it to where no one just break even on that and you make that 12%. You can actually earn at least two plus percent a year on top of your 12% where you actually double dip on that money, where you make money in two places at once. I love it. I love it. So this is the kind of kind of leads into it. This That's the kind of stuff I think you talk a decent amount on your podcast about. Why don't you talk a little bit about your podcast and, and you know, why yeah. the similarities and what you can probably get on there that uh, uh, my listeners would, would enjoy listening to. Yeah. So our podcast is called the Money Ripples Podcast because, you know, I'm that creative. Um, so named after our company, Money Ripples. Uh, yeah. Money Ripples Podcast. We are on YouTube. We got things on there. Talk a lot about, I mean, everything from passive investing to, you know, infinite banking. Obviously, we talk a bit, a bit about that as well. Uh, but really, it's all about how to get you financially independent. Uh, our goal is to get at least a thousand people financially independent, where they their work optional by the year 2030. And so that's the big folks of the podcast. Um, MoneyRipples.com is our website. We also have a lot of information on there too. Awesome. So that's the best place to find you is your podcast at MoneyRipples.com is where you where you the best place to send that's, people. That's they, the place. I like it. Awesome. 
Well, any any um, anything that you want to leave the audience with before we play the game? You didn't get off the hook. You're playing the game. <laughs> well, I was hoping not. You know, I got to wake up, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I would say final words really is just, you know, again, like I said before, do the opposite, right? Whatever mainstream the masses are telling you to do, do the opposite. Question what everybody's saying. Question what the news is saying. Like, in fact, ignore the news for the most part other than what is everybody saying so I could do the opposite. You know, the masses go broke. But those of us that go against the grain, right? We're kind of we're kind of those uh, contrarians of sort. But we're contrarians because we know that the opposite is where wealth is created. If you focus on that, that's where all the wealth happens. That's that's where you get people that say you're crazy, but then they look at you saying you're brilliant, right? Because you're really the ones getting the results while everybody else is stuck in their usual routine, stuck in their little box, and wonder how they're going to break free. The only way to break free is to break free of the mindset of the masses. I love it. I love it. All right. So the game is called the net worth game. Lucas, who, you know, who's in the, uh, my business partner, who's, you know, at the mastermind collective genes we're at, he's usually hosting the podcast with me, but when I have guests, it's just me. Um, so we used to play this in college a lot. So what we would do in the, throughout the night drinking, and it was a drinking game, but you're not going to drink cause you're in Hawaii and it's early and I don't feel like drinking, um, right now either. So what you do is we would pick a celebrity, uh, an athlete, a musician, somebody, and we would just randomly pick somebody and you'd guess their net worth, right? And whoever was closest got to give out a drink. So it's really interesting because there's a lot of people with big names that have really, really low net worths. And then there's some people that their net worth are crazy. And we're, I'm just Googling it. Obviously, nobody knows their exact net worth probably. But you go on Google and they're usually within a 10% range of several sites. So um, it's just random. So pick who's your who's your favorite, uh, who's your favorite either musician or athlete or you know, maybe, maybe, or I'm um, actor or something. And then we're going to guess their net worth. And, and then I'll go as well. I'll, I'll pick someone in the same like type that you pick. Okay. Uh, I was thinking you just said actor or something like that. So I'm going to say Ryan Reynolds. That's probably one of my favorite actors of all time. I love it. He is, he is awesome. So I have no idea. So you guessed him. So I'm not going to look yet. I haven't looked yet. So what do you think Ryan Reynolds net worth is? Oof. Uh, that is a good question. I'm going to guess, man, he's been, I would guess probably about a hundred million, maybe. 50 right. to 100 million. All right. If I have to have a number, I'll say 65. 65 million. Okay. I know he's done some investments with his gin company and then the soccer club and he's done oh, a few different crap. things. No, you're That's in. Right. So I'm, we don't like to do like yep. Jeopardy or not uh, Jeopardy, you know, whatever, guess one over. So you guess uh, 65. I'm going to go higher. I'm going to guess 125. So Ryan Reynolds net worth. Let's look it up. Hold on. And then I'm going to get somebody. Um, it, it says 150 million. I believe it. He. I think he's got oh. some good investments. So. That's impressive. That's a I lot. Forgot the, I forgot about the gin company. That that would I definitely put him over the top. I think that put him on top. All right. So I'm going to go somewhere similar. I'll guess first. I won't look yet. So I know him and him and Will Ferrell had that uh, that movie that just came out, Spirit or whatever. So I'm going to go Will Ferrell. I think he's been in a lot of movies. I don't know if he's got the business side to him. He doesn't seem like an idiot, even though he plays one in his movies. So I'm sure he has some decent investments, but he's been in a lot of movies. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say 100 million for Will Ferrell. What do you say? Yeah, you know, obviously getting pretty close to that as well. Um, I'm going to say 80 million. All right, Will Ferrell net worth. Let's see what it is. It is 160 million. Wow. So, Whoa, and he's got Ryan beat. Yeah, he's got Ryan beat. You scroll down and I see several sites that say 160. So, anyways, that's just a fun game we play. Um, Luke and I do that at the end of every episode, or we do like a draft. Like we we did an episode this morning of um, our top favorite movies when we were kids. So 1990s kids movies. Um, we did our top top uh, ten of those. So I didn't want to make you do any homework and prepare for a draft. So the net worth game is a good throw in. So um, 
I appreciate you being on, Chris. His name is Chris Miles. Got the Money Ripples brand. Check him out on the social media, podcast, YouTube, and the website, moneyripples.com. And I appreciate you being on, my man. Thank you. All righty. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you got some major value from our conversation. If you love what you learn, make sure you like, rate, review the show, and help us spread the word by telling a friend. If you'd like to learn more about working with me inside one of my programs, we'll have those links in the show notes, along with all our social media handles, so you connect with us there for free. If there's a real estate question you'd like us to answer, feel free to send us a message and we'll cover it in an upcoming show. 